Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we have a ton of news, leaks about iPhone and AirPods Pro 2. Google I.O. announced a bunch of devices, even devices into next year. We'll talk about that. And we say goodbye to the iPod. We'll talk about that in a minute. This show is brought to you by our friends at ZocTalk, where you can book doctors for free right in their app. Collide Backbone, a new sponsor, incredible game controller for iPhone, and one more. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me this week, my friend here in the States, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Steven. You know, I was tempted to go and buy an iPod from Target because there's still there's still a couple sitting over there. Oh, and then I realized it doesn't have Touch ID <laughs> and I don't want to keep it in the box. I, I kind of wanted to like play with it, but no, I, I don't want that thing. It, it's terrible. Yeah, I so I actually did a little video just personally about the iPod because I still have my original iPod Touch and it still works. And well, we can't talk about this. We got to reminisce later, Wes, because that'll be the entire show if we started right. right here at the top. But we we will we will get to reminiscing about our iPod experiences of the past. Let's first uh, give some five star review shout outs. Yes, Connor from Great Britain. Joso from Hungary, international listener. Well, so is Great Britain, I guess. But <laughs> Adrian Clark from Great Britain as well. Thank you guys for those five star ratings. We got a bunch of news too. Let's see. Real quick rumors and leaks. First of all iPhone 14, the display is supposedly going to be slightly larger. Uh, we saw that come through. And then what really hit the world by storm is <laughs> Ming-Chi Kuo said the iPhone 15 will finally go to USB-C instead of Lightning. Now, this this is Steven, a year away if it ever happens. You're telling but. me that you're not interested in finding out if the iPhone 14 has a hundredth of a millimeter larger screen? That's really important. I mean, so <laughs> basically, uh, this was Ross Young. Ross Young, who's a display analyst, you know, he's he's been pretty credible. He said the screen from the 13 Pro, which is like 6.06 inches, will go to 6.12 inches. I mean, this is an imperceptible difference, Wes. I don't. I guess he got this from somewhere in the supply chain uh, again because um, yeah, he, he's really close to this stuff. But also, you could kind of figure it out with the diagrams and stuff that we've we've gotten so far. Yeah, but it doesn't really tell you what the bezel thickness is. There, there's just been a lot of like very strange very small reports about this iPhone lately. And I, I don't know because it's, it's accelerated so that we've got more news, right. but none of it's very important. It's just like, and the iPhone will have <laughs> yeah. a mute switch. Phone physical sizes just matters if you want to use your case from last year, which I recently discovered that, you know, my son, he got an iPhone 13, the green one, which looks very nice. I was trying to give him some of my old cases and he was showing me the volume and sleep buttons don't match like it's a it's a different yep they they move year to year and the and the camera bump changes so just go ahead and consider that if you buy something that fits around the rim of your device it's not going to fit the next generation that's just go ahead and deal with that ahead of time so don't go out here and buy a five thousand dollar gucci case uh for every iphone that you get unless you just have that kind of money um but yeah you don't want to do that wait a minute does gucci does gucci make iphone cases i'm you know what who knows but i'm sure there probably is if not gucci probably ferrari there's a lot of these really random like brands that make uh yes expensive iphone products did you know ferrari was like a like a what do you call that? Like a homemade brand where they, they make lighters and uh, like things that you can put in your house like that. Like go to Dubai and you can buy Ferrari products. I'm just saying. That, that's wild. I just I'm going to put a link in show notes just because this is hilarious. But you can get a Gucci phone case for like $340. A little, little too pricey. You thought Apple's leather case was expensive. Right. <laughs> These are. Yeah. And then you look at the then you go to the AirTag cases and it's like Hermes sells one for $400 for what is it? A $40 AirTag. Right. So. Right. It's, it's amazing. 
Then, then the other rumor, Quo saying iPhone 15, again, next year's model would finally have USB-C. I, I'm going to believe it when I see it, a mode when it comes to USB-C on the iPhone. I, I'm not sure about this. It, I'm going to call uh, Ming-Chi Quo out on this one. He said it, he, he did a survey. He didn't say to who or why or when. He could have walked down the street and just asked random people, uh, do, do you think the iPhone 15 is going to have the uh, USB-C port? Now, okay, I understand. He's probably performed a survey amongst the supply chain. But again, what does that really tell us? Like, are they guessing? Is this based on data? We don't know what like this is and he's used this uh before in reports but again this this whole twitter thing that he's doing is just making me skeptical of everything he's saying because yes it doesn't it doesn't line up with the usual very serious reports that he's doing through his business so exactly i only wanted to mention it too because if listeners uh, forgot there was a youtuber named ken pillanel who actually engineered a usb-c port on an iphone He's now done it again with his AirPods case and the phone that he had put a USB-C port in the, you know, he put a USB-C port in an iPhone. It was totally functional. You can charge it. He then sold it on eBay for $86,000, the USB-C iPhone. Of course. So apparently there is some demand, even if it's in a very niche um, high market, maybe these are the same people buying the Gucci phone cases. I'm not well, sure. The guy who bought the $86,000 USB-C iPhone is the same guy who bought his uh, dog two uh, 24 karat gold Apple watches. So <laughs> wait, are you for real? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, that's my, no, that's my head cannon though. I'm, I'm just going to believe that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was, I mean, I would believe it if you told me someone bought his, that's, their dog. That's the kind of thing we're dealing like, there's going to be two or three of those. So this guy should probably make two or three of these USB-C iPhones. Cause it's a painful process yeah, yeah. and you know, just, go hide away exactly i want to ask you though uh the utility of this so for me i think i have one lightning product left that the only choice i have is lightning and that's the airpods max right i think everything else is either USB-C or wireless charging Uh, i wonder if that's the same for you yeah i think you are correct i have a couple external batteries we don't talk about the uh, apple tv remote <laughs> oh yeah apple count. tv remote also the magsafe battery pack right. i plug that in with you can't wirelessly charge that i always forget about that thing yeah so i mean you can charge it well you'd have to plug your iphone into lightning to right. then charge the battery pack but yeah you need lightning for that i think i'm whatever now yeah. you know I- i've been charging magsafe on my iphone since the 12 I charge MagSafe at night. I charge MagSafe pretty much everywhere. In the car, I'll still plug in Lightning just because there's not great MagSafe holders and chargers together. So I use the Belkin MagSafe mount and then I plug it in physically. But I could do MagSafe there too. I'm kind of, I'm at the point where whatever. Although, now that you just said AirPods Max are one of the other few devices and the Apple TV remote, now I do want MagSafe charging or a kind of MagSafe charging on AirPods Max and the Apple TV remote or some kind of Qi charger. Dude, if we could have a dock that just wirelessly charged the Apple TV remote, that'd be amazing. I would love that. Would you call it AirPower? No. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I do wonder, though, in uh, audience, you can correct me, but I, I just wonder about how this matters in uh, 2022. I mean, maybe a decade ago, it was kind of a conversation of, yeah, I don't want 40 different chargers in my house, you know, and I, and I agree with that. Two or three, sure, that's fine. But as a nerd, I have chargers everywhere, right? That's just me. I have right. charging stations and things. I, things I've reviewed, they just spread out around the house. There's going to be, if you're in a room <laughs> and the table's there, there's probably a charger on it of some kind. Um, I guess it would make sense. It would be nice to have them all be the same for every device. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I put my AirPods Max in the same place every day. So... 
there's obviously a lightning connector there and then there's wirelessly wireless pads everywhere so i just wonder for the average consumer and it and i know this you know for non-nerds it's a little bit different but even for the average consumer i wonder if it's the same situation i'm guessing the only place that this complaint is really a serious thing to to consider is maybe in the car or when packing a travel bag having less complexity when trying to decide what you're bringing and how many chargers you need to have that's true but i just don't see this as much of an issue anymore if it ever was yeah traveling is, is the other one i wish the magsafe duo or similar product that apple would make used USB-C. only because when i travel i really want to know i can use any of the few cables I'm bringing with anything. And I have to think about what USB-C to lightning cables am I bringing and what USB-C to USB-C cables. Cause I'm bringing all USB-C like charging blocks and bricks. So I want to make sure I have the right one. So that's the only thing there. But since now you've said the AirPods Max thing, that brings us to our next rumor, which is Mark Gurman in his Power On newsletter. He's saying that AirPods Pro 2 are finally going to be refreshed this fall which I don't even know. Is that like two and a half years since they launched? I mean, they're they're pretty long in the tooth right now. No, it was it was fall 2019 when they launched. So three, it's gonna be three years between refreshes. Right, pretty much right at the same amount of time the original AirPods to AirPods Two, because that was a very long time as well. Okay. If I remember okay. correctly, it was AirPods, and then we got the AirPods One and a Half with the wireless charging case. Uh, Correct, and that was a pretty large gap of time. But we got that in AirPods Pro, I think, at the same time. So right. 2016 to 2019, and now 2019 to 2022. So it's it's yeah. weird how Apple's doing this. I'm okay with them taking longer to release updates, but only if the battery lasts as long as the update takes. Right? Like if right. us early adopters, we're kind of in a bad spot at this point. AirPods Pro are not the device they used to be. Now, if you got those on day one, like I did, and I think you did also, that battery life is really struggling right now. I mean, you, it is noticeably less amount of time, especially if you're doing noise canceling and you're you know, having it in your ears and not in the case for an extended period. You, you definitely notice it, it is not lasting as long. But I will say the AirPods Max, German is saying that the Max will get new colors this fall, possibly an updated version. He didn't say what would be updated. And I know this would be difficult, I think, practically with just how the device is physically laid out. But I do think a MagSafe or some kind of wireless charging, I would actually like that on the AirPods Max because trying to like plug in that lightning cable sometimes, especially if it's at night, you know, it's, it's kind of dark because I just used it to watch something or listen to something. Sometimes trying to find that lightning port on the AirPods Max can be a pain. I do think a wireless charging option would be great. And I'm also curious what features they would bring to it that would actually be an update besides that if it's not wireless charging what would a airpods max gen 2 offer that the current one doesn't well steven thinking from apple's perspective i don't think we're going to have an easy solution for airpods max charging um unless they go USB-C, mm. which i guess i don't think they're going to do uh unless if the iphone goes USB-C, i could see this happening eventually sure uh, but this 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 next product especially if it's releasing this fall no I don't see QI charging, uh, you know, just standard wireless charging for the AirPods Max either. No. Where would you lay it? Is it like ear pad down? Would you take the ear pad off? Would you flip it over on the aluminum side? Is that going to uh, introduce, you know, possibility of wearing off the paint because you're just laying mm. it down on a surface over and over? If I'm Apple, I would make one of these bespoke stands and put the wireless charging in the headband. So when you put the 
had oh. the headphones on the uh, stand at night, it would charge. Or if you're storing it in a bag for travel, it would sit in a way that could charge the headphones and the uh, and maybe the case could act as a battery. Like that's my go-to. But again, it doesn't solve the problem of I just want one charger to rule them all or to simplify the charging situation. I don't think you're ever going to simplify the AirPods Max charging situation mm. except for USB-C, and that's we're nowhere near that going to happen. Well, we'll see. I mean. If those new ones are released this fall, are you going to upgrade? I mean, what feature would cause you to upgrade yours, Wes? It's tricky um, because, again, I don't know what they would change. Obviously, sound improvements, like if we get lossless, I definitely want to experience lossless. I want to, I want to try Apple's flavor of that. Sure. So because I, they're headphones. I mean, the sole purpose of buying them is because they sound good. And if Apple makes them sound better, I want to experience that. So I would probably put down the money for it and uh, maybe sell these on the aftermarket for $300 or something and, and you know, be fine. I I wouldn't sure. hate it. It's just, again, one of those things. I don't see this, you know, color options. I'm not going to change just for a color. They're not going to change the port. If if there's some really cool thing that it's like, you need the new W3 chip, or they put an M1 in these things. I don't know. But, <laughs> an, M1. an M1. They put the M1 in everything. The AirPods Max. Yeah. They're just laying around in the warehouse. They, they are, just got yeah. them. They're just popping them and everything. Tripping them on um, them. It's like slipping on them like banana peels. It's just M1 chips everywhere. That's the only reason why I would upgrade is like noticeable performance improvements, some kind of new feature new audio processing that kind of stuff yeah I, i'm gonna be very curious if it's a new color i, I do kind of wish i had gotten a color in retrospect but you don't really see the color yourself when you're wearing them so it's not enough for me i think to tempt me to get to upgrade just for that so we'll see I, i'm very interested in how and if they refresh the airpods max for sure this episode is brought to you by backbone that transforms your iphone into a handheld gaming console listen everybody's busy and so a lot of us don't have time to just sit back and play our favorite video games, or maybe you don't even have a console to do it. Well, with Backbone, you can take the gaming world with you with just your iPhone, no matter where you are in the world. With Backbone, the universal gaming essential that lets you instantly play hundreds of console games on your iPhone with no console required. Backbone is the newest game-changing essential that transforms your iPhone into a handheld console so you can play anywhere, anytime. You simply plug in your iPhone to the Backbone and enjoy console quality controls with responsive buttons and triggers, clickable analog sticks, and more as you play Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and App Store games. So I have a little bit of experience with video games, and I will say when I tried the Backbone controller, the buttons feel like those console quality controllers. They're all very clicky. It's great even just for playing simple games. I love Apple Arcade games, and so I use like Alto's Adventure and The Lost City. I almost got all 10 of those little logs to get that little twig character anyway. I've been using the Backbone controller for that, and it's a lot more fun being able to do it. You don't have to obstruct the screen with your fingers because you're using the controllers on either side. And if you don't own a console, it's no problem. You can stream hundreds of games like FIFA, Halo, Minecraft, and more through cloud gaming services like Xbox Game Pass, NVIDIA GeForce, and Google Stadia. And even if you already have a PlayStation or Xbox or PC, play games you own with Remote Play or the Steam Link app. Experience for yourself what TechCrunch calls the closest we've ever seen to a portable Xbox. That's high praise. Here's what you do. Go to playbackbone.com slash Apple Insider now to order your backbone until June 30th, and you get free access to over 350 console games and perks, including one month free of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, one month free of Apple Arcade, two months free of Google Stadia Pro, and three months free of Discord Nitro. Try all these gaming services for free when you order your Backbone. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash Apple Insider. 
There'll be a link in the podcast description. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Backbone for sponsoring this episode. And this episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. Listen, we all know what it's like to try and find a doctor. And even when we make that appointment, make the calls, go through all that waiting, you get to the doctor's office for your appointment that day. And if you find out they don't take your insurance, you have to do the entire process all over again. It can be miserable. But ZocDoc can help you solve all of that. ZocDoc is a free app. It shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can tell it your insurance company, even your plan. And when you search for a general practitioner or specialist, they'll show you doctors that take your insurance. You can also know what real humans think about these doctors with those patient reviews. You see it right in the app. So before you even walk into the doctor's office, you can have confidence you're seeing a good doctor. And when you go to ZocDoc.com, you can choose a time slot, whether you want to see a doctor in person or virtual, you can schedule that appointment right there online. You don't have to call anybody. You can find the doctor that's right for you, book an appointment that works with your schedule, Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. I use ZocDoc. I've found general practitioners, specialists. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that's surprisingly pain-free. With ZocDoc, you can get your docs in a row. Yes, that is a pun. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider and download the ZocDoc app for free and start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Apple Insider. ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. That link is also in the podcast episode description. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. So I want to mention this. Eddie Q has actually said he's going to be focusing on more streaming and advertising revenue to up Apple's service revenue quarter, year over year, all that kind of stuff. And I found this interesting. You know, obviously Apple is doing a huge effort in Apple TV Plus, you know, a ton of original content. There's these rumors that Apple might get NFL Sunday ticket, which would be a massive sports play from Apple. And again, all these services, you know, Fitness Plus improvements, all that kind of stuff. But what I thought was interesting about this is focusing on how they would make Apple TV Plus a higher revenue for the company. And you look at what other companies are doing Looks like Netflix is most likely going to introduce an ad-supported tier soon where you can pay less per month and just have ads. And I wanted to talk about the possibility, would Apple TV ever introduce an ad tier and an ad-free tier? When you look at the landscape of streaming services, Apple TV Plus is one of the most inexpensive, you know, $5 a month as opposed to Disney Plus. I think it ranges from like $8 to $12, depending if you do the Hulu bundle and all that. Netflix is like thousand dollars a month i don't even know now i think it's like twenty dollars for the 4k version right and other streaming services you know i think paramount plus peacock they're all around that eight to twelve dollars depending if you do a no commercial tier and so i'm curious do you ever think apple would do an apple tv plus ad supported tier and i want to mention this as another point of information friday night's mlb tv has ads now again apple is not running those ads i think directly i think that's some partnership with the mlb but we do have ads in an Apple TV piece of content, you could say, speaking of MLB TV. Right. So let me ask you, do you think Apple would ever get into the commercial business for their original content like TV shows? No, no never. Uh, just, it's not going to happen for Apple TV. It's not going to happen for Apple Music. I just, I don't see it happening. It, they're already making enough money on the services alone to keep them running. 
advertising Apple has always treated as the, I guess, a poor man's game. They make all their money off of services revenue, selling the hardware to run the services and the um, ecosystem therein. So we have to look at what Apple advertising is now because a lot of people got in an uproar at this report. And I don't think they understand what Apple's advertising business is or where they are. We know what how Apple operates it's different uh, advertising businesses. It's it's out of the way. I mean, we've heard publications saying that they're not exactly happy with how Apple runs its ad platform. Uh, they're not making a lot of money from Apple News. The key here is the App Store search ads. Yeah, that is blowing up and not because of anything really Apple's done. A lot of people are pointing to um, Apple being anti-competitive as usual because they they believe that Apple is running the other people out of town using their app tracking transparency and requiring privacy features and all of this stuff and then coming in to, to swoop in and, and eat up all of the advertising money. And that's just not true because Apple's not operating in those same businesses as Google and Facebook. And Apple, I don't think, is willing to turn into Google and Facebook in those same fronts. The advertising segment here that we're talking about that Eddie Q wants to expand is going to include making the app store situation more robust and maybe they'll throw some more money at apple news and maybe we'll see uh, better advertising systems in a couple of other places but um apple i don't think is going to turn into uh, facebook in this regard they're not going to start collecting data and selling it to data brokers they have made it very clear that they are not going to cross that line yeah so i will agree i don't think i mean commercials would be such a huge thing to manage across Apple TV plus content. And of course, Apple is a huge company, like they could hire the people to handle it. But I don't think it doesn't feel like they would do that. So to answer my own question, yeah, I agree. I don't think they're going to do commercials on Apple TV plus. Yes, the App Store search ads could increase in revenue. But here's another wrinkle for you. I think Apple could start doing ads in the podcast app as well. This is something that Marco Arment does in the Overcast app, where you can actually buy banner ads that appear in the Overcast app for your show. And Marco actually lists like how many subscribers and listens you'll probably get when you buy this ads. And he like sells those pretty often. Like there are many times where I will go in there just to see what kind of ads are available to purchase. And they are out of stock and you can sign up for email updates to when they are available again. And so it seems to be pretty successful for Marco, but again, Overcast is a smallish app, especially compared to Apple Podcasts, which is still the biggest app for listening to podcasts in the world. More people use Apple Podcasts than any other app. And so if Apple actually offered a way, like they do to app developers, to podcast creators to say, here is a way to get banners or some kind of ads for your show, which the Apple Podcast app has lots of places where they highlight other shows. I mean, you have the top charts, the discover page. They could put those ads a lot of places that's not intrusive. Like don't put it in the now playing card. Don't put it on that first tab, the listen now tab in the in the app. But ads for Apple Podcasts, I mean, I would probably jump on that for both this show and other shows. Like I think that would be a, a great option. Again, I think they they can expand. Like uh, don't take what I said before as they're never going to expand their advertising business. I think the difference here is is while Apple might start getting into more advertising, I think they're going to handle it in a very Apple way. Uh, and again, look to DuckDuckGo for inspiration here. Apple's argument for advertising is that you can do it without collecting massive amounts of data, right. without 
violating people's privacy and that is their goal podcasts for example would be perfect because people go there and expect ads they expect ads in line with the podcast they might expect to see it around the app um, maybe in the search results or something like that and that's where apple can thrive i think apple would benefit greatly if they could have an advertising platform that they run not one of these geolocated things that uh, people insert into the mid feed into a podcast feed right um they insert the ad at download, I think, uh, is how it works right. based on your IP address. And that's a little sketchy. Uh, third party companies doing it. I think Apple could really get into that and offer, say, no, 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 don't go to the third party, go to us, and we can make dynamic, really good geo targeted ads that are private and secure and uh, that people actually want to hear. And I like the idea of other podcasts advertising podcasts yeah advertising is essential to how our economy works uh like how else would you hear about a business or a product like i think there's a play here and i think i think we should keep an eye on this because um google and facebook have obviously proven that they're not exactly the best stewards for uh internet advertising and that is the business like we we can't get away from advertising no matter how hard we try it's uh in order for people to access the web freely and to get access to information it has to be paid through eyeballs right and that's that's what advertising is so i wonder if maybe in the future if you know again maybe apple makes a duck go purchase or something like that maybe we, apple gets into search uh stuff like that i i think that there, there's a strong chance like a, a strong uh argument for apple to maybe get into the space and disrupt it in the way that they do maybe prove you know put their money where their mouth is because apple does say again that advertising can be done economically they can make money without all this data collection and all these privacy violations. And I'm curious to see if maybe they try to uh, prove prove it true. Apple could also, I, I see this less likely. I really feel like the direct purchase ads like the App Store in podcasts is, is more feasible. But Apple could do the anchor style ad where you can say, yes, I want ads on my show that are targeted and give me a cut of whatever revenue. Kind of like the YouTube model where you just say, monetize my video. Google finds ads that are applicable to your audience and you get a cut of that revenue. Apple could say, we will do a pre-roll ad on your show if you say you want to monetize your podcast, which would help smaller shows who may be too small to get actual sponsors, but you can get small pieces of revenue from advertisers kind of buying ads across an interest, whether it's like all tech podcasts or whatever. And you say, just monetize my podcast. You tell that to Apple and Apple leverages the full library, you know, access they have, and they know what you're interested in. I mean, that's why they can do, you might like, or you might also be interested in, in the Apple podcast app. So I wanted to bring up one thing that, cause I just remembered, I don't know if you've noticed another form of advertising taking place on Apple devices that people freak out about, like uh, getting a notification about a new album on Apple music or right. um, something's changed recently that was brought to my attention. I wonder if you've noticed, do you use the radio function on Apple music a lot? Never, never. Okay. See, I use it usually just be like, I want to listen to alternative music. So that's how you get that kind of experience. You just tell it alternative and it plays it. Um, Apple has been inserting promos for like the Apple Music One, the radio show, uh, uh, into that cert, into that thing. It's not an ad, like it's not like advertising Clorox, right? But it is saying, hey, while you're listening to this, well, we tell because uh, they tell everyone it's free, right? It's included with the service with Apple Music. But while you're listening to what you expect to be a continuous stream of music, we're going to do a 30 second little thing where Zane Lowe tells you about an interview with Avril Lavigne. <laughs> I hate it, but I don't love it. 
like at like I want to know about these things because I do enjoy listening to the Apple Music One radio, but at the same time, I'm kind of just expecting to hear music. Right. <laughs> this isn't Pandora, so I don't know. It's just an odd thing to me. I don't know. I, maybe I should be able to talk about that off somewhere. It just seems like a strange thing to do in a paid service. Right. Maybe you need to get that Apple Music Plus Max. We never, like, you pay extra and you never hear Zane Lowe again. Exactly. Now, on a flip side, sorry, I really didn't think we were talking about advertising this much. Sorry. But because I just brought up podcasting, now I'm kind of like turned up about it. I definitely do not want to see some kind of tier to like remove ads from Apple Podcasts. You know, I don't think that would be good. I think you can put in the discovery page, you could put ads in there, maybe let shows opt in to monetize, just like, you know, we offer a sponsor filled version of the show, which is free. And then you could pay five bucks a month and you get an ad free version of the Apple Insider podcast. Let shows make that choice itself. Don't start putting ads where you wouldn't expect it. I guess it's just all I'm saying. Right. Well, well, there's there's two sides to that. It's just like YouTube, the inline thing. So right. either so you can either volunteer for put six different ad blocks in my one hour video, right? Or I'll go and talk to a guy who sells pillows or something and and get them to pay me to talk about their pillow in an ad break. No matter what Apple does, unless they're somehow using algorithms to go in and find when you do an ad break, that's not going to get out of the content, right? You're not going to get rid of that unless you specifically pay for a different feed that is ad free. And that, yeah, and I agree with you, like Apple could play around with that a little bit. Um, but yeah, there's a difference between dynamic insertion of ads and inline ads recorded during the podcast, like what we do on our show. So Exactly. All right. Well, we got to get to the Google I.O. stuff. But real quick, I wanted to mention a new device. You actually wrote the article about it, Wes. But this is the Aura Strap 2 for Apple Watch. This is a watch band that you would use with your Apple Watch that has a body sensor built into the strap. It does connect to Apple Health. But this thing is fascinating. It actually has these two sensors that face up and down. And so while you're wearing the Aura Strap Apple Watch band on your wrist, you can actually hold the palm of your opposite hand, touch the sensors on the bottom, and it creates a circuit because the wrist that you're wearing the watch on is one side, and then your palm touching the exterior of the sensors on the strap on the other side completes the circuit. And this Aura Strap 2 can actually measure things like body fat percentage, muscles, your water composition of your body, and other things. And apparently, it's pretty accurate. The Verge actually did a review of it. They've compared it. They say the results are pretty consistent as it measures it. It is $150 for a strap. But again, you're getting these sensors that apparently work pretty well. The app makes like helpful suggestions. doesn't just you know tell you to, to lose weight constantly. It actually tells you like other things you can do. And I think this is one of the... First, I will say health-related straps. I know there's been others. I can't remember off the top of my head. But an Apple Watch strap that actually extends the health features of the Apple Watch, and it connects to the Aura app, but it also integrates with Apple Health. So I just thought this was fascinating. It's 150 bucks. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. What do you think about this? The premise is interesting, but I had the opposite reaction. Um, I, I hate it. I don't know. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> You can go and buy uh, Y Y things, Y things. I don't know the Withings scale. Withings, yeah. they change their name every three weeks. But yeah. uh, look into it. I'm not joking. Like they've been purchased and moved like four different times. But go buy one of these health scales, and it does the same thing using your feet because your feet aren't touching. You, sure, you stand sure. on the scale, and it sends some electricity through your body, and it finds out all this information for you, and it puts it in a health app. How often 
do you need to know your BMI and stuff like that that you need it attached to your body first of all and like and yeah. you, you just need to do it like unless you're just need the immediacy like I just got off the treadmill I need to know it right this second like I I don't get it um I'm not a health nut either so whatever but uh other thing is it's really just an upsell for their thing because all these metrics are useless without their advanced algorithms. And you don't really get that unless you're paying for a subscription service. Yeah, it is a subscription. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, so you're, you're getting a watch band with a, re- a subscription service for something that I guess is useful, but if you're paying for like fitness plus, cause it, the subscription service is like, yeah, we're going to give you some metrics like this BMI is moving up or down or, or whatever. These, we're going to tell you these trends, but also you get access to these uh, workout videos that are personalized for you. No, they're not recording the video for you. They're just telling you what videos to watch based on what parts of your body or, or uh, need work. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I imagine these kinds of straps will increase the popularity as the technology advances. Things like, blood pressure and things like that. I don't know. Again, Apple could also make their own strap that then is probably more integrated, but yeah, I mean, we've seen, we've seen smart bands like the wrist cam. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've seen these before. I I am interested in the idea of having more smarts in the wristbands and I want to see some utility here. Right. In this case, I just, I just see, Hey, sign up for a subscription and buy this $150 tool. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor. One more. One More makes incredible wireless earbuds with active noise cancellation and incredible sound, and they just start at $170. One More is a globally distributed premium consumer audio company, and they just announced their flagship model, the One More Evo. It's a pair of audiophile-grade ANC true wireless earbuds. They're actually tuned by a four-time Grammy winner. They're super low distortion, high-res audio, it's got punchy bass, smooth mids, and vivid highs with dual drivers right there in the headphones. They come in a case that looks a lot like the AirPods, which is really nice. You can wirelessly charge the case itself. You can connect them to two devices simultaneously, and they will switch back and forth. And it has multiple active noise cancellation modes, which is really cool. It's not just transparency and noise cancellation. It actually has active noise cancellation strong, mild, and adaptive active noise cancellation. It also has dual transparency modes, which has pass-through transparency and a voice enhancement mode as well. It also has exceptional call clarity. It has six mics with AI-powered DNN to mute ambient noise while you're on the call. And it has Bluetooth 5.2, which is really nice. They already launched. They launched on May 10th, and there's a discount. You can get $30 off with the promo code EVO30, all one word, when you go to the One More website. I'll put a link in the show notes to One More. It is just One More, just the number one more.com. And again, use the promo code EVO30, all one word, to get $30 off. That's $140 for incredible noise-canceling headphones that sound great. Our thanks to One More for sponsoring this episode. And this episode is brought to you by Collide. Guys, I love Collide. That's Collide with a K, K-O-L-I-D-E.com. Here's what they do. Let's say you're over the IT at your company or you have some say in what goes on there. Well, a lot of times for security and privacy, companies try to lock down devices, whether it's iPhone, Mac, Windows devices, try to lock it down so employees don't download something they're not supposed to or access something they're not supposed to. But that can get really frustrating as the user because you don't have full access to your device. Well, what Collide does will actually send automated messages in Slack directly to your team members and make suggestions on privacy and security. So it puts the power for privacy and security in the hands of your employees. 
Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down those devices to the point where they're unusable. So don't frustrate your employees. Collide educates them about security and device management. Visit collide.com, K-O-L-I-D-E.com slash Apple Insider. You enter your email and you can actually get a free Collide gift bundle after a trial activation. That's a free trial and a free gift bundle. Get a bunch of free stuff. That's awesome. And here's some of the things that Collide can do. Let's say one of your users has downloaded the recovery codes for a login, but they just saved it in a text document right on their desktop. Well, Collide knows it, and they will send that user a message in Slack saying, hey, maybe don't store those there because it's not secure. It can also help users set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, and will even convince employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. So you can try Collide and all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free and for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash Apple Insider. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Collide.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, we got to talk about Google I.O., their big developers conference. They talked about a bunch of software and AI things, but they also announced some hardware, some hardware that's going to be available soon, then some in the fall and some next year and maybe even later. So we'll kind of break it up into those three different categories. But Google did announce the Pixel 6a, which is the entry level Pixel kind of to compete with the iPhone SE. The iPhone The Pixel 6a is $449. That's $20 more than the iPhone SE. It's available July 21st, so we're still a few months away from it. But it uses that Tensor chip, Google's own silicon chip, quote unquote. It does use the camera from like several generations ago to save on that cost. There is still the in-screen fingerprint sensor, which has had mixed reviews. But if you want a budget new Pixel phone that has that Google Tensor chip, the Pixel 6a there is for you. It has 5G and millimeter wave on some models and all that. And then also the Pixel Buds Pro, which are direct competitors. You mean the you mean the AirPods Pro? Ah, well, Pixel Buds Pro, which cost $199, which undercuts the AirPods Pro by 50 bucks. July 21st, they'll be announced. And they do come in colors. I'll have to give Google credit. At least the Pixel Buds Pro do come in multiple colors if you would like those. But they have literally transparency mode, noise cancellation, and spatial audio. I was watching parts of the keynote and they said spatial audio and transparency and all that. And I guess there's not some kind of like copyright on those terms, like Apple can't go after Google for using it. But I thought spatial audio was interesting. I thought that was kind of an Apple's own description for their audio processing. But Google said from the stage, these do spatial audio as well. So yeah. Spatial audio is something that has been around for a while, even before Apple. Uh, It's part of like the Dolby Atmos thing. They're industry standards like ANC and transparency mode. Those are all just words we use to describe the technology. It's like calling something Bluetooth, right? We're not like it. Right. It's not uh, it's not trademarked in any way. It's just the technology itself is what you're describing. Um, Anyway, this whole thing, Google I.O. this year was interesting. Did you watch it? Steven, I watched like the verges cut. Okay. So I saw like the 18 minute cut of it. I had the entire like two plus hour conference on in the background while I was working. And okay. my goodness, I, it just makes me appreciate apples even more. This felt like straight out of 2014 when Samsung would get on stage and talk about how cool they are and like invite Snoop Dogg to do a song or something. And it's, it's the same kind of uh, feeling. I, I don't know who who's watching this. Who are these conference for? Is it developers? Cause they didn't really, 
really get into developer stuff that much. They just mentioned something and moved on. The Pixel line has always been odd to me because as much front as Google puts up, they don't sell. I mean, there's dozens of them, Stephen. Dozens on the market. <laughs> dozens, yeah, exactly. Well, and to kind of make things even weirder, so after those announcements, Pixel 6a, Pixel Buds Pro, Google went on to basically announce the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro. You know, Google Pixel stuff is notoriously leaked super early. John Prosser has leaked this stuff like way early. And so they just announced it. They said this was coming in the fall. Pixel 7, Pixel 7 Pro. They didn't give a ton of details on it. They did show the back of it, which the camera on that bar on the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro basically looks like a pill shape and hole punch design, like exactly how the supposed iPhone 14 pill and hole punch will look. I thought that was kind of funny. Not, not much details there. I did think that the Pixel Watch, which was finally announced, it did match the renders that John Prosser put out there. It is a round-faced smartwatch running Android Wear. This is the first time Google has actually made a Pixel Watch, a watch directly from them. I will say we haven't seen a lot of the software. We don't know much about it. It was just more teased than announced, but it is coming this fall with the 7 and 7 Pro Pixels. And I will say, I mean, it looks nice. It looks cool from the renders and the images they saw. And it looks like a good round smartwatch. You know, be curious how apps will utilize that circle face as opposed to the round rec face that's on the Apple Watch. But looks cool. It's interesting. Um, I mean, Google's introducing new features like emergency SOS and stuff like that to try and compete with Apple's uh, systems because obviously the life-saving parts of Apple Watch uh, are what make it such a popular product. And I think Google wants some of that space. Again, I this is still an even smaller segment. I guess you can use the Pixel Watch with a Samsung. Uh, it is a good looking watch. Um, I don't I, I still don't think round is the right inter interaction for digital interfaces because uh, everything is presented in squares, text, um, images. I, I don't. I just don't see a round interface being that great. Apple could do it at some point, but it's just not ideal. I think. Right. So e even as good as it looks, I still think the um, the square paradigm is the winner here. And I, I just don't know what the market is for this thing. I, I'm curious if Google's going to brag about it down the line, like how many they've sold. Because again, the Pixel line, we're talking about four million in a year. I don't. I, we don't have real numbers. Google doesn't tell us, but um, we know it's probably at the bottom amongst flagships uh, in in terms of sales. Uh, people buy them. They they are out there, and Google obviously keeps making them for. A reason but um it's just such a weird niche uh when you could probably get a more customized version of android um for even cheaper in some cases uh if you go with samsung like the samsung if i remember correctly j20 line j22 um those are some of the best-selling smartphones on the planet and they're 200 dollars. Yeah. uh and you get the full android experience and a decent battery life and I mean, 449, like going back to the 6A, isn't bad for a smartphone, but then you look at the iPhone with the more secure uh, Touch ID system and the Apple's system on a chip that's more powerful than anything Google's going to build. Right. I just, I don't know. And then, the, then you look at the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro down the line what what like they don't gain anything by announcing it early and they don't lose anything either because the people who want to buy pixels are going to buy everyone that comes out that's their entire customer base there isn't anyone curious on the sidelines thinking mm, maybe i'll wait for the seven 
Pro. Uh, what's that company, that printer company that went out of business? They're, they're not, Google isn't going to pull one of those where the Pixel's suddenly going to stop selling because everyone's waiting for the Pixel 7. Right. Uh, they're not selling enough in the first place for that to, to be a factor. So, yeah, they can't cannibalize their own sales, right. basically. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then the Pixel so, tablet, what'd you think of that? Okay. Yeah. So, so that was the, the fall products are the Pixel 7, 7 Pro, and Pixel Watch. And then Google was like 2023. Next year, we're going to release a Pixel tablet. We really have almost no information on it. It basically looks like an iPad with white bezels instead of black. And the camera is on the longer landscape edge instead of the shorter portrait side. So I'll give Google that. But we really don't have any information. I just think, listen, I've used the Pixelbook before. I actually had a, you know, the Pixelbook was their like high-end Chromebook that they made specifically. And it was fine. But as with all of these other devices, especially the Pixel tablet and Pixel book, the issue always comes down to what are you going to run on it? You know, what apps are you going to get? Which Google has said in, Google said during the keynote that they're going to put effort towards more tablet optimized apps, but you also have to get developers to optimize as well. You know, I've talked so much about Ferrite on iPad, and that is a result of a developer making something great for the tablet that, uh, you know, elevates the usefulness of that tablet. And so in order to do that for a Pixel tablet, you have to do the same thing. And I'll be curious, what is the accessory ecosystem? Is there going to do be like a Pixel pencil and a magic keyboard style keyboard for it as well? So a lot of questions on it. I mean, it, you know, it looks fine. You just, it's a screen. <laughs> it, well, it looks, it looks like a white label Samsung Galaxy tab. It does look like And that. I mean, I could do an entire podcast on what's wrong with the tablet ecosystem in Android. Um, and they did shine a light, a very, very rare light on the on the fact that Android does run on tablets during the uh, Google I.O. yesterday. They introduced innovative features like drag and drop and split screen apps. And um, just wild to me that they're still talking about like bringing bare minimum features uh, like there, there's a new um, menu, like a. Uh, icon bar at the bottom of the screen at all time showing apps and stuff like that. Basically, they've turned the tablet Android OS into Chrome OS, which why not? I mean, they're basically the same thing sure. anyway. Um, it's just I don't see any innovation here. I like who's buying these things. I guess Google saw a spike in tablet sales again because of the pandemic, um, but it's a little too little too late to be throwing resources at such a neglected thing. I think the last time anything significant happened in the Android tablet space was 2013. And I, it just brings up the question of, of like, what, what's their plan here? What's their goals? I, Android is still <laughs> kind of a, a, a weird ecosystem, kind of a mess. And Fuchsia never surfaced this, uh, this. If you guys pay attention to the Google side of things, there was a new ecosystem of a new uh, software ecosystem. Google was working on that was going to be more universal work more across everything from phones to tablets to desktops combines all the goodies of Chrome and all the goodies of Android into one thing, you know, Fuchsia fusion, you get it. Um, and it just never kind of came to be. And I, it seems that at this point that they've abandoned it and just reinforced Android from underneath. So I'm just curious. I like watching Google and see what they do. Um, it, it keeps Apple's feet to the fire as far as innovation goes. But uh, I expect a very different, much more exciting conference from Apple come WWDC. And we have one more thing here. They teased <laughs> AR glasses. Yeah. So not Google Glass. This was not Google Glass. You know, nothing like we've seen in the past. This was interesting. It was an augmented reality. I hesitate to say the word demo because it was really just kind of a video concept 
thing, but it was basically saying augmented reality, here's a use case. And it basically showed two people like talking across from a table, different languages, and saying that if you were wearing glasses that could show you things on the lenses, if someone was speaking another language across the table, that you could see the translation in text in your eyes using your glasses or even sign language, which I thought this was really cool. You know, if someone is signing American Sign Language or otherwise, it would actually be able to translate that into the glasses because the glasses are actually seeing what the person is signing. So, you know, that's a really cool use case. All comes down to the actual execution. Can Google actually make physical glasses like this that look like they do? You know, the concept video, they look just just like normal glasses. And it's like, that would be a technological marvel to make it look just like normal glasses and be able to do all these things. So all comes down to, is this actually like, vaporware or could this actually exist one day i think that this is we don't need another you know iphone versus android war here um and inevitably i'm sure there's going to be the usual tribalisms that go on but um ar is the next generation of smartphone uh more or less and i mean we may be five years away from that really coalescing but uh we need to remember that android it, they're going to be early. They're going to be the first ones to the pitch with actual glasses. I'm sure even if Apple teases it, I don't, I don't see them being first no. um, and that's okay. And the Android ones, whatever comes out, I don't think it's really going to work well with iOS. So again, whatever camp you're in, this is where it's going to be. Android getting ahead of the game, showing some concepts. It's good for Apple too, because Apple gets to see what works, what doesn't and how the market reacts. And it's going to mean a better future for all of us because ultimately augmented reality that you can wear on your face, it's going to be a game changer, especially in terms of accessibility. Like imagine everything that it could mean from language barriers to ability barriers to everything. Just as long as you have sight, you'll be able to take advantage of AR and it'll be wild. Pretty amazing. I'm just excited for it. And I'm I'm glad Google's getting ahead of the game here, teasing it because we know Apple's not going to mention a word about whatever they're working on until like 2025. Right. And you know, you just said as, as long as you have sight and you know, I do think there's even implications for using glasses like this that have a camera in them oh absolutely for you know for things like accessibility where if you're wearing airpods and you have these glasses that the airpods could translate live what the glasses are seeing it could tell you who's in front of you who's talking like facial recognition you could have airpods whispering to you what they're saying stuff like that like there's a lot of ways that this could really uh help especially in accessibility. And that's, that's what I'm very excited about. Cause I, I like as much fun as it sounds to, you know, get Pokemon go in your face or like some kind of video game and uh, go grocery shopping and you see the prices floating in front of you. That's all well and good. <laughs> but I think the social implications of this are, are wide reaching and we haven't even begun to think about what it's going to do. For sure. So it was interesting. We'll see if, if Google is the first one to do it or is it going to be meta? We will see, but I will put links to all the Google IO stuff in the show notes, but we have to get to the iPod because This week, Apple announced that the iPod is officially discontinued. The iPod Touch was the last iPod that was still being sold directly from Apple. You could have bought it new, but not anymore. They're basically all sold out now. And the iPod lasted, launched in 2001 and 2022, had a 21-year run, which is pretty good for a product cycle. And there was actually a listener, Tony Mercer, actually tweeted at me. He actually won a Pepsi iPod Mini. Back in 2005, I didn't even know that was the thing. But, you know, iPod is so iconic. The iPod is so iconic, I thought maybe we could reminisce about some of our our first iPods. And I remember, I didn't get super in on it, and I don't remember what, I think it was 2005, but the iPod with video was my very first iPod, which to think, 
the progression from the original, original iPod to even the iPod video just being four-ish years later, that's a pretty fast progression, <laughs> you know, being able to watch videos on that little screen. But that was my first iPod. I really loved that thing. I think it was my first Apple product in general, actually. I had to sync it with my Dell desktop PC and <laughs> use iTunes on Windows. But one of the great things I did, one of the things I loved doing on that was watching Lost. I watched the first two seasons of Lost on that little iPod video doing a train commute. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And then my next iPod was actually the original iPod Touch because the iPhone came out in 2007. My family was on Sprint and we weren't changing at the moment. So I couldn't get the first iPhone in the first several generations. And so my parents actually got me for Christmas that year, 2007, the original iPod Touch, which I still have and it still works. And I actually did a little video on it and loved that device. And from then there were various iPods as far as what I used and got some iPod touches for my kids when they were younger. I used an iPod Nano with the touch screen on one of those dock speaker things because there weren't really smart speakers like eight or nine years ago that you could really like that were usable. And so I actually left an iPod Nano permanently docked to a speaker and used that in my kid's bedroom for like nighttime music. And that iPod worked great for a long time. But, you know, so many fond memories of the iPod. I'm sure many of our listeners would love to hear your stories about iPod. You can tweet at us. But what was your first iPod? Did you have one? Yes. Uh, this is kind of weird because I don't have very good memory of that era. Um, but I do remember having MP3 players and iPods, uh, various ones over time. Um, I can't exactly remember which was first because I know I had an iPod video um, and I had the nano that wasn't like that was uh, tall and skinny with a with a touch with a click wheel. It was called it was like blue colored. And then I had the I the nano six gen that was a touch screen and I used that as a watch. So um, those are like my earlier ones. Uh, I do remember just loving playing like brick breaker and stuff like that. I don't, even when I had the video stuff, I don't think I ever watched a video on it. It just never seemed, uh, important. And I didn't have money to go buy iTunes stuff. Cause I mean, we're talking about like 2006, I would have been 15. You had to buy songs and albums separately. There was no streaming anything. Right. And I definitely didn't have a Mac. We, we barely had a windows computer that turned on, let alone a Mac. So, um, <laughs> it's just one of those things. I never had one with firewire or anything. I always, everything I had yeah, was I 30 pin connector. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting to see that evolution because I know my first mp3 player my first portable portable music machine that wasn't a cd player was a 25 megabyte usb stick with a headphone jack in it this thing was miraculous you could fit maybe one cd's worth of songs on there but my goodness when you're uh 14 years old and going to high school that thing that was a game changer but and then yeah. obviously the ipod holding many more songs than that and uh, maybe may or may not be pirating most of that um was definitely <laughs> Just, I don't know. It's a part of an era that like you talk to kids today about it and they're like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Don't you just turn the radio on and choose what you want to play? Anyway, I, I did, I did want to mention though, my love for, uh, the iPod nano because mm. it was my first introduction to what you call a wearable. Um, right. the idea, yeah, the idea was early, very nascent at the time. And, um, I was in the military. So, cause I don't remember when the sixth generation, uh, nano came out but i know i got one after joining the navy in 2009 and we have these long sleeve uniforms and stuff so and it, they don't really want you wearing anything too fancy like that now the apple watch is fine they'll let you wear an apple watch google watch whatever but at the time it was just like what are you doing <laughs> why is there mm. this bright colorful screen on your wrist 
get that out of here. But, uh, the cool thing was, is I could like run a set of headphones up my sleeve and have a set, like to have them resting in my collar. So if I wanted to pop an earbud in while I was writing a document or something, I could, and yeah. it was just this really unique, different experience I'd never had from a piece of technology before. Very personal. It was right there on my wrist. Yes. I had a headphone jack and I had a wire running up my sleeve. It was very different, Yeah, but I don't know, just, uh, I'll miss that. And of course, as soon as the pebble watch came out, I was first in line for that. And the, right. then the rest is history, but just, interesting that apple was able to capture such a uh, crazy part of the market and to look at the competitors like zune and just cry because those things were very ugly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know i think the ipod nano and the mini is probably one of the most varied apple products over the generations oh yeah i mean i'm i'm looking now like if you could just <clears throat> if you just google ipod nano there was like the first generation, which was the very tall and thin, extremely thin iPod Nano. Then there were others that had more touchscreen with just the little home button at the bottom. There was the short stubby Nano that had the click wheel and had a bigger screen, like just so, yeah. so different. And then to go to the clip style, like the iPod Shuffle, and I remember there was that one iPod Shuffle that had like zero buttons, which was hilarious. But just so varying and different styles of the Nano and Mini. It's it's pretty wild. Apple did a lot of experimentation with yeah, these. It's the only time I, th I think we've ever seen Apple experiment in public. And <laughs> uh, probably the only time we'll ever see it again. But um, yeah, like look at from generation 5, 6 to 7 for the Nano. It was crazy. And I was so upset when they came out with that 7th generation Nano. And it was this little... Uh, rectangular touchscreen and i was just like why right. like you, you see us out here wearing these things why did you do it and the, obviously the answer was well in two years we're going to introduce the apple watch but um yeah it's just yeah it's yeah, wild it, it, it's it's funny to, to watch those things move and then you see the mac and it's like well you can see an imac from 2007 and today and not mistake it for anything else you know yeah so it is fond fond memories of the ipod we say farewell and goodbye to the ipod lineup it is now part of the iPhone and iPad and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Send pictures of your old iPods, listeners. If you have an old iPod, whatever it is, original, nano, mini, we'd love to see uh, what our listeners have. And you can check out my video on the iPod Touch. It was one of my favorites. I have a, I have a question for you, Stephen, unless there's anything else yeah. you wanted to cover. No, no. Go for it. Okay. So uh, do you think that the iPod going away, is there a hole in Apple's lineup? Is there something there that should exist <laughs> that needs to be replaced? No, I don't think so. I mean, the one use case I would say is for like a younger child that you don't want to have a whole iPad. A I really feel like old phones, like yeah. old generation iPhones from relatives that they don't use anymore has filled that niche. Like that's the Apple line. Yeah, and a, a pocketable a pocketable computer device. Um, but like you said, could be like an older iPhone or still the iPod because it still exists. I just yeah. hate, hate that it doesn't have touch ID. If they could have just done one more <laughs> with a touch ID button, I would have been so happy, but they just never gave us that. Um, no, And I think the iPad mini... While oh, yeah. it is more expensive than the iPods, I do think it is that very portable non-iPhone device that you could give to a child, even if you get a couple generations old iPad mini, you know, that could be the child device and does all the things, does all the things that an iPod touch would do. And my only argument here is I think there is space, whether no matter how niche it is, Apple has money to spare. They can spare this. I think there is space for a niche device that is dedicated to music. You know, um, it could be a 
music player that's built so you have just a terabyte of storage <laughs> that's just for lossless that you can carry with you and plug into your lossless uh playable airpods max you know over a wire um because that market exists people who want those experiences um a wired connection high quality lossless audio and a dedicated music device that that's totally a thing apple could do sony does it with their walkman series i just i, I don't think apple has any desire to do that and that's that's kind of yeah. sad obviously i i just think it could be a, a cool thing to maybe be the brains behind um other devices like a a future home pod maybe and this would act as a screen for it you could remove and take with you i don't know it's just the idea is there but uh yeah they'll leave it to like sonos or somebody else to come up with it yeah well once again goodbye ipod send us your pictures one final farewell to the ipods this week you can tweet at wes and i our twitter handles are in the show notes also, you can get an ad-free version of the show by subscribing on Patreon, patreon.com slash Apple Insider, or directly in Apple Podcasts. You could do it there. And also, if you could give us a five-star rating and review, we'd love to give you a shout-out at the top of the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>